Welcome to the Career Chat Room, where we focus on job searching and landing. I'm your host, Erin Sergi. Welcome back to the Career Chat Room. Today, my guest is a former colleague and a longtime friend, Jackie Fitzgerald. Recently, I've had several requests to do an episode on how to effectively negotiate salary. And when I thought of what guest I would want to have for this topic, it was Jackie. And it's evident why in a few minutes, you'll see why you were my first invite on this topic. (laughs) Before we jump into our discussion, I'd like you to just share a little bit about who you are with our audience. Sure. Thanks so much for having me, Erin. I'm really excited to be here. So a little bit of background about me. I am an HR professional with almost 25 years of experience. And the most recent 17 years of that experience has been in recruiting. I've worked with candidates at all levels from early career, straight from campus, all the way up to executive. And I've spent a good bit of time dealing with salary negotiations. So it's a great topic. And I'm looking forward to the discussion. Yeah, I thought it would be really insightful for the people who are out in the job searching world to hear the perspective of someone who's been on the company side of salary negotiations for a while, a good while. Exactly. So let's jump in and start with insights into salary expectation setting. How should candidates approach sharing their salary expectations with the company? So I think this is a tricky question because a lot of times people can get a little weird about sharing their salary expectations or their current salary. I think a couple things that people need to be aware of. Number one, you don't have to share your current salary. Mm-hmm. Most times, if a company is doing things the right way, they should be asking for your salary expectations, which can be very different from your current salary or your most recent salary. So I think that candidates need to go in with an open mind and being prepared in how they want to answer that question. Mm -hmm. And it might be different based upon what the role is. So you might go in with a different salary expectation in mind for a role where, say, you need to commute to the office every day versus being remote and not having to worry about commuting costs. You might go in with a different expectation for a role that is managing a small team of people versus an individual contributor role. So it can be very fluid. And I think it's important for candidates to know that sharing your salary expectations with the recruiter is really a good thing. Mm -hmm. It ensures that they understand what you're looking for and you can make a decision together about whether the role that you're discussing is a good fit. Yeah. No one wants to waste anyone's time, right? So the last thing you want is to have a 30 minute or 60 minute conversation. And at the end, salary comes up and you find out that the budget for the role or the range for the role is well below what you're looking for. Yeah. And I think what people are afraid of is that if they put a number out there, that they're limiting themselves. That if they say, this is my salary expectation, the recruiter is thinking, great, we don't have to pay them what we have budgeted or we don't have to pay them what what, we really think their skill set is worth because this is what they're expecting. How truthful is that? Or how So I think that that is, Erin, that is the biggest misconception out Mm -hmm. there. I've seen it personally with a lot of different people, both in the workplace and even on the personal front. And- 
what I would say is that it is a misconception. It's a myth. So when you go into an interview or a conversation about a role, the company has already sort of decided what is the salary range for that role? What are we looking to pay? How far above that are we willing to go based on a certain skill set for the right Mm -hmm. person? And you share, I think people think that when they share exactly like you said, if they give a number that they're going to be pigeonholed. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone just needs to get away from that misconception because truthfully, I have seen people give a salary expectation and then the offer is well above what that is because of what the company believes the role is worth and that person's skill set combined along with all the other factors, right? Hiring managers, budget, the salary range. So I think it's important to be as open and transparent as possible because it really will ensure a good match in the end. The last thing you want to do is end up in the wrong role or end up being not paid well enough for your skill set. So I think the more you can be transparent with the recruiter, the better. And and that's coming from a recruiter. I Mm -hmm. really appreciate when it's not a big song and dance around that topic because it allows us to be open and honest and find the person a great fit because maybe that role's not the right fit. But Mm -hmm. now that I know sort of where you're at, I can, there might be other roles within the organization that would be a better fit. So I think getting away from that misconception is a good thing. And I think the other thing that candidates should remember is when it comes to salary discussions, you should be having those discussions with the recruiter. Right. In in 95% of cases, you don't want to be having a salary discussion with the hiring leader. The only person you might also have a salary conversation with would be like an HR person mm-hmm. that you're interviewing with. But I would say the recruiter is your advocate yes. in the whole process. And so I think people need to remember the more information you give the recruiter, the better they can help advocate for you on the company side with the hiring team. Right. And it's it's different when um, there's a situation where it's a the contingent recruiter or something, then, then that recruiter is truly working for you. The recruiters and the company, it's this unique blend of being your advocate as a candidate and also wanting to make the right fit for the company and get someone in at the right price for the 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 job and the company and everything and have it all work out because yes. they're still there at the end of the day once you're on board and they have a vested interest in making it all work out for the long term it's not just exactly a like transactional sort of deal it's, exactly it's you're right a, a return, a retained search firm or a contingent search firm, they're going to try to get you the most money they can. A, because they're working for you. And B, because the higher salary they get for you, the more of a fee they get mm-hmm. from the company. Whereas, like you said, for me, I've spent my entire career within a corporation. Mm-hmm. And I agree that it is my goal every time to just find the right match. So mm-hmm. I am an advocate for the candidate. I'm also an advocate for the company so I can really make sure that everything is coming together in the right way. The person is a good fit for the role. The hiring team is happy with the candidate and feels good about the budget and how much they're paying in salary. So I think you're spot on. 
So we've talked about candidates being afraid to share their salary expectations because they think it might limit what the company is willing to pay them. What about when the opposite is true, where their salary expectations might be too high and they're afraid that it's actually going to cut them out of consideration before they even get a chance to have a conversation with the hiring manager or even the recruiter? That might be especially true if in the application process, right? You have to put your salary expectations. And, and what if you put a number in there that is too high and, they, and they're eliminating people just based on, oh, they have salary expectations that are way out of line with this role. We're not even going to talk to them. But in fact, you might be open and interested in having the conversation and you have a, a story around why you might be open to a, a, a less, lesser amount than what you've put in the salary expectations. How do, you, how do you think that people should think about that? So I think that's a really great question. And I think it's a big fear for a lot of people, especially folks that might be out of work and in transition and really mm-hmm. don't want to rule anything out because they may have some flexibility. So I think there's a couple things to keep in mind. First, you mentioned the application process. A lot of companies do ask for salary expectations Mm -hmm. in the application. Sometimes it's not a required field and Mm -hmm. you don't have to fill it out. If it is a required field and it requires a number and not a word, you can just put zero. Oh, yeah. You don't have to fill that in. It is it is not a requirement, even if it's a required field. If it allows you to type letters, you can type flexible or negotiable. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't, you can just put a one or a zero and right. not not pigeonhole yourself. And that way, hopefully you can get that initial conversation because mm-hmm. a lot of times what happens is, you know, maybe you are a little more flexible for whatever circumstances right. and a lot of times just getting that initial conversation could be a great way to segue to a different role within the organization that might be a better fit. So I absolutely see why people would not want to overshoot it. Now, in conversation, if that comes up, I think you need to be very thoughtful yes. about what you truly truly are open to being paid for this particular role. Mm-hmm. You might ideally want $80,000. But you might be in a situation where for the for a role with this company that right. you're targeting or this role that would offer you some great growth opportunity, you would probably be willing to take less. I think you really need to think through that and be very open and honest. If you truly cannot take less than $80,000 from a financial standpoint, mm-hmm. then you you should be honest because you're just yeah. going to be wasting everybody's time and you don't want the role if it's not paying what you need or what you want. Right. But I think if you do have some flexibility, you can either lower that number or talk about that flexibility. Say, hey, in an ideal world, I'd be making this, but I really am passionate about staying within this industry, mm-hmm. I, you know, this is a company that I've targeted. This role sounds so fulfilling to me that I would potentially be willing to take less. And you have to be truthful about it. Yeah. And I think that the application process piece is is one is to be one to be aware of, right? Where I feel like if you shouldn't necessarily put those highest salary expectations in the application form because you don't know what sort of automated screening is happening that might right. eliminate you. So don't put those the highest salary expectations in the app process. Save right. that for the conversation with the recruiter where 
listen, I, I actually put a number that was maybe what I thought you were thinking about paying for this role because I really wanted this conversation to happen and, and to explore this further, either this role or opportunities with the company. So I think that's maybe um, a tactic that people could think about where they might have higher salary expectations, but you can kind of lower them down a bit in the application process so you don't get cut out. But like you, we've talked about before, talk very transparently about your expectations when you actually get that conversation with the recruiter. Exactly. Yeah. And so how much transparency should you maintain and, or, or stay open about? So you said before that companies really can't ask you how much you're making. It's, I think there's laws against it, right? There, there are, at least in, some in states. most states, if not all. Yeah. So you're giving them an expectation. How do you present that expectation? Is it, this is my like minimum amount that I would accept, or do you give them a range? How do you, how do you advise people approach that? I think candidates can approach it in a number of ways. I think, you know, as close to, in terms of detail as you can get is good. Mm -hmm. So sometimes people will come to me and say, well, I'm looking for a total compensation in the, let's say, $200,000 range. Yeah. And that could mean a lot of different things in terms of the structure of the package, how much of that is base salary, how much of that is incentive compensation, how much of that is long-term incentives and stock options. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important for candidates who are at a level where it's more than just base salary Mm-hmm. To be really specific, it's important to know as a recruiter what you need financially from a base salary perspective, because mm-hmm. that's the money that's guaranteed. That's the money that you're going to live on on a day-to-day basis. So I think it's great to give a total package amount, but I think it's important for folks to remember to really be more specific around what portion of that needs to be base salary mm-hmm. and be realistic. Um, you know, don't feel like you need to hedge around it because you really want this job. Cause guess what? If it's not the right fit from a compensation perspective, it's not the right job. Right. Right. So, so I think being as transparent as you can, and I think it's, you know, whether you want to give a specific number I need at least this much in base salary or whether you want to give a range, I need 60 to $80,000 in base salary, I think is really up to the candidate's preference. Yeah. Because if you tell me I need at least $80,000 in base, then I know that if there is no way I can get to that number, this is not maybe the best fit. But I'm Mm -hmm. a recruiter and I have colleagues and myself that are working on other open roles and we can maybe find something else that is a fit. The last thing you want to do is go through the whole process and come to the end and I offer you 75 and you're like, wait a second, I said I needed at least 80. Right. So I think as, as transparent as you can be is the way to go and as as specific as you can be is Mm -hmm. really great, you know, to be able to say, Hey, in my last role, I was in this range. You don't have to give an exact number, Mm -hmm. but I also had a 10% annual bonus target. And that usually paid out at 
90 to 100% each year. Right. That helps me understand the type of compensation that you're used to and what you might be looking for. And if you tell me, hey, for this role, I would be expecting more than that or less than that, depending on what the the skills are and the, the details of the role. Right. I think that's great. Yeah. And I think that, you know, maybe you want to share what you were making at your current company. Maybe you feel comfortable doing that, but then you might say, but I feel like I was underpaid. That's part of why maybe I'm on the market is because I, I'm not satisfied with that that amount. And so you can kind of put a narrative around the the expectations yeah. that you have being as specific as possible around how you feel about a certain compensation amount. I don't know. That's, that's yeah, an approach absolutely. that might work for someone. Absolutely. I think that, um, you know, and I think it can go the opposite way. Some people might stay at a company for a really long time and end up being paid really highly and understand that maybe that's not what the market pays. True. And mm-hmm. so to be able to say, hey, look, I was making this and I would mm-hmm. love to make that, but I understand that I was at the very high end of the market and I have some flexibility. Yeah. So being able to share with a recruiter where you have flexibility and where you don't is a very key piece of it. Yeah. So you mentioned a couple of times that there's all these factors that come into play. There's the budget, there's the skill set match. What what do you think would be really helpful for candidates to know about those factors that are being considered that are going to influence what the offer might look like at the end? Yeah, that's a great question because I think a lot of times if candidates have not worked in HR or been on the hiring side of things, they may not understand all the pieces that go into it. You know, like you said, there is the hiring manager typically has a budget. So the company more than likely has a salary range or a midpoint salary Mm -hmm. that they're comfortable with based on the role itself. So you might find a lot of times now, more so than ever in job descriptions, you might see a salary range actually listed in the job description. True. And I think it's important to keep in mind, A, that could be a very wide range Mm -hmm. because it can cover a number of different roles within the company. And that doesn't mean that that's the budget the hiring manager has. So if the range is 90 to $120,000 in base salary, it may be realistic that the hiring manager only has the budget to pay around 100 or 110. Mm -hmm. And the candidate's not going to know that. Mm-hmm. But the company has to put the range on the job description in many cases. So that's an important thing to keep in mind. The other important thing to keep in mind, I think, is how well your skill set fits with the role itself. So the scope of work that you've done versus the scope of work of the role mm-hmm. You may feel like, wow, I'm really great at what I do and I should be paid at the top of that salary range. But it may not necessarily match up with the skills that the hiring manager is looking for. And they might feel that you're missing a couple of pieces and they might want to bring you in more at the midpoint or even on the lower end with room to grow. And I think finally, this is the point that I think most candidates miss not ever having been on the other side of it. Hiring managers and companies have to keep in mind internal equity. So if they're hiring you 
to join a team of six peers. They need to keep in mind what those six peers are making. Mm -hmm. They can't bring someone in from the external world making significantly more or significantly less Mm -hmm. than sort of that range of where those folks are. And obviously, there's going to be differences depending on skill set, depending on performance, a number of performance, a number. Right. Those folks that are there, they have probably shifted to different ranges based on performance over the years. Mm -hmm. And it's very tricky to bring someone in and have it be at least somewhat equitable. You don't want to bring someone in super, super high. Listen, no one's supposed to talk about salary, right? But it happens or people find Mm -hmm. things out and it can make for a very uncomfortable situation. And when people are doing the same role within a company, it is important to the company that they're paying for the skill set of that role as much as possible. And especially if the person is brand new to the company, or maybe they're coming from a different industry and mm-hmm. they, they need to ramp up on this particular industry. Maybe they have transferable skills from somewhere else, but they don't, like you said, have the entire package and even the experience of having worked at this company. You're going to have people on the team who are coaching and mentoring and, and showing this person the ropes. And like you said, people do talk about salary. It's It's becoming more and more common, I think, for different generations to share that information as there's been more transparency in the market. Mm-hmm. And so the 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 thing that would be, I think, uh, tricky for the team would be to have someone who's brought in paid way above what other people on the team are making and then have those people be basically training them on how to do the job at this company. And right, it exactly. doesn't doesn't like breed goodwill, <laughs> more of a of exactly. a, a detriment to the the dynamics of the team. So that's really important to know. And I think that you 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 want to join a company and in get into a role where you actually have some opportunity to develop and yes. and you don't want to just join a company that is going to want to hire you for what you've already done and have you have you've already done this 10 times over so let's bring you in to do it again for the 11th time it's not very developmental for you. So you actually right. do want to be looking at roles where there's more opportunity for you to grow your salary and your career and, and develop more skills. That might mean knowing that the market range that's been published on the website is 90 to 120, but that you're being brought in at, at 95 because you have enough of what they're looking for, for them to take a chance on you and think that you have a good opportunity to do well but yet you're still going to have room to grow and develop. And we don't just mean so growth so you we can pay you more over time and that we don't pay you everything that we could pay you up front. It's that you actually can spend the time in the role to develop the skills and the and the knowledge and the experience that you hopefully join this company to get. So I think there's there's some opportunity for people to rethink how they view those ranges and how they're being brought into the company. I absolutely agree. The last thing you want to do is negotiate, negotiate to be at the top of that range. And then you get in the role and realize there's nowhere for me to go. Mm-hmm. My performance increases, merit increases year over year are going to be small because I'm already at the top of that range, but maybe not yet ready for the next role. So right. I do agree. It's important to think through that when you're going in and 
choose a role where you have room to grow and develop yes. new skills. That should ideally be what people are looking for. Not everyone does, right? Everyone has personal circumstances, but I think most people want to be in a position to grow and develop new skills when they're looking for a new opportunity. So I agree that's a really important piece to keep in mind. Yeah. And even when you're thinking about the company and the their approach and their attitude towards bringing people in with room to develop and grow, it's kind of telling if you are looking at at a role that maybe doesn't have as much developmental opportunity for you, but the company's not thinking about, well, hey, maybe this role is not the right role for you because you can't get as much out of it. You, that kind of gives you a sense of how they're going to think about moving people around the organization into new and different roles in the future because you might not have as much mobility if you have a spot, you're getting a spot in a company that doesn't think that you can do a job if you haven't done everything 100% that the job lists as required. That's <laughs> An interesting nuance that I think people don't don't often realize is, is yeah, out there. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot that candidates can glean from the interview process about that particular aspect of the company's culture. Mm-hmm. You know, you can pick up on things like, you know, whether someone from the team has left to move to a new role internally yes. or, you know, it, it can become very obvious if you're listening yeah. to the clues whether or not this is a company that is going to be a great place for you to grow and develop and make more money long term. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You might even ask that question in the interview process. So why is this position open? And and listen for those clues. Well, Well, someone just got promoted into another role or they moved or they moved to a different department to to learn new skills. How how common is that? Right? That's a good follow-up question. How common is that in this in this situation, in this company. So yeah, you can learn a lot about the attitude towards growth and uh, in the interview process, you don't want to miss out on that. Exactly. So, So once you have that offer in hand, how do you approach negotiation of the offer from that point forward? So I think once you have the offer, one of a couple things can happen. First, it can be exactly what you were looking for. Mm-hmm. Yay. And you're super happy. Yay. And you want to just jump on it and accept the offer immediately. Or B, you might feel like mm, it's not quite as much as I was hoping for, or the bonus is lower than I thought it was going to be. So I think in both of those situations, it's still very appropriate to think about negotiation. It's not always your best decision to just jump on a great offer and accept it because you have to think about the total package. Mm -hmm. So I think there's always room to see if there's something else that could be added on or money shifted. You know, maybe you would, I mean, People need to think about all all the pieces too, right? It's the total package. So the base salary is where you want it. The uh, bonus is where you want it. Any long-term incentives or stock options are where you want them. But I've seen people negotiate paid time off. Mm-hmm. I was just you thinking know, that. Yep. You might say, well, I had four weeks of paid time off in my previous role. This is only going to be three. That's something that's really important to me Mm -hmm. and to my family. I wonder if there's any room to discuss that. And listen, in some cases it is, 
appropriate and they there can be changes made and yep. in some cases there's not but you're not going to know unless you ask the question yep and sometimes that doesn't come up until the offer is made yeah so i think before you just immediately jump and accept a really great offer it's mm-hmm. important to sit down and think about what's important to you what are your values and your priorities is this going to make you happy on all fronts the other thing to keep in mind is Depending on the time of year that you will be leaving or have left a previous employer, you might be leaving money Money on the the table. table. Yep. You know, let's say you leave at the end of the year and you don't stay long enough to receive your bonus for the year that you pretty much almost entirely worked. That's something that can be negotiated with a new employer to say, hey, I'm leaving my entire bonus on the table if I leave before March 1st of next year, let's say. Right. And a lot of times companies will be willing to offer a sign on bonus or additional bonus in the first year, some way to make up for that. In an ideal world, companies are looking to keep you whole. So if you're leaving unvested stock on the table or unvested retirement money or a bonus, those are really important things to think about. Yeah. And you can be upfront about it. Like you don't have to wait until you're being asked. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That is something that you can discuss up front or through the interview process again yeah. with the recruiter because they their goal is to keep you whole and make you happy. So, yeah. um, you know, obviously to the point where it works for the company, but those are important things to think about. And I think on the other end, if it's an offer that you're not 100% thrilled with, it can't hurt to ask. A lot of times there is room to negotiate. Oftentimes, that could be additional base salary. Sometimes it's a sign-on bonus just to kind of make that first year really worthwhile until you build the skills up to develop and grow within the company on your own. Sometimes it's additional bonus. You know, like I said, sometimes it's additional PTO or or Mm -hmm. remote work options, more flexibility options. It really depends on what's important to you. And those are great things to think about in terms of going back to the recruiter and saying, hey, I'm super excited about this role. I think the offer looks really good. But here are some things that are really important to me that may be missing. Yeah, it is. Hey, I want to work from home one day a week or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever the case may be. I think it's important to know that you absolutely can negotiate any offer, even if it's even if the base salary is what you said you were looking for, but circumstances have changed, don't be afraid to go to the recruiter and be open and honest about what could make the offer more appealing to you. Right. And something you said about the timing of the bonus just reminds me that a lot of people don't realize the the rules that are that dictate around how bonuses are paid out. And that's important to understand when you're headed into a new role is, okay, if I start after October 1st, and your bonus year is January 1 to December 31st, am I even eligible for a bonus for the last bit of the year? Could I actually have my bonus be kind of grandfathered in the payout in the the next year? So as if I was at the company the whole year, like it doesn't have to be just a sign-on situation. You could actually have an exception, a a grandfathered, so that if you start in the very latter part of one year and the bonus payout at the beginning of the next year could actually be treated as if you had 
worked there the entire year to keep you whole. So it doesn't exactly. always have to be one particular type of uh, compensation component. And it's important for you to be aware of too, like you said, around what is the date that you need to stay through in order to get your bonus paid out? Lots of times it's not the end of the year. So let's say that your performance year is January 1 to December 31st, and you're thinking that if you uh, give notice in January that you're still going to get paid out your bonus for that entire performance year. Well, most times companies don't pay that out unless you are actually employed on the date the bonus is paid out, which is typically exactly. probably in like the early March timeframe. So there's these all these nuances that it's important to kind of figure out and and even like benefits and stuff come into play, but that's not a topic of this podcast, but, yeah. but, but we could have a whole other conversation about how to think about the transition of, of benefits. Um, so that's, that's something else to think about. We should talk about at right. some point. But you're absolutely right. The more people can, I mean, I think this is an important conversation to have because you're right. I think a lot of people don't even think about these things and they are important because you could end up leaving money on the table mm -hmm. or be, you know, not getting the full amount you could be going into a right. new role. So I think yeah. it's great that we let people know that these are pieces that need to be considered. Yeah. Well, this was a great conversation. And as we just touched on, there's so much more that we could talk about when people are going <laughs> through job transitions. But I think that what we covered today hits on a lot of the key pieces that the audience has been clamoring. <laughs> I've had a few <laughs> requests. I'm going to make it sound like there's a huge audience out there saying, we want salary negotiation talk, but kind of, I think there is. And so I, I hope that, that what we've covered today gives, uh, gives people the insight that they need to be able to effectively negotiate salary. It's been such a pleasure to reconnect with you, Jackie, and, and talk about this topic. Thank you for coming on the Career Chat Room. Thank you so much for having me, Erin. It was really fun. And I hope, like you said, we gave people some insight that will help them when they move on to their next role and may have to negotiate. Thank you so much. That's it for another episode of the Career Chat Room. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.